Hi there. Thanks for joining. My name is Josh. I am the pastor of Dharma Punks, New York, the guiding teacher since 2005. This is our Tuesday evening online class. We have our half-day workshop Sunday, May 21st at Center Yoga. The link will be posted soon. And uh, June 17th in Philadelphia, we're doing a day-long. If you look at the dharmapunksnyc.com website, the info will be there. And uh, hope to see you. If you'd like to support my work, the Venmo is dharmapunks nyc dharma punks is always with an x and uh paypal is on the website and on the podcast page and the patreon information is there as well so thank you for that tonight a topic that i haven't talked about in the last five or six years so i thought i would dip back into it Motion contagion, the tendency to unconsciously synchronize with the emotions of others, especially individuals who have strong affectual states, strong emotional states, can influence and change our emotional states, uh, dysregulating or leading to times where uh, we feel exhausted after encountering certain individuals or going into certain work environments. So it's human nature to bond and seek well-being um, by an emotion, uh, sorry, an automatic process uh, called mirroring. We are constantly as uh, being signaling our internal states, whether we feel relaxed and safe and trusting or distracted or anxious or fearful, our internal states are being signaled to others by, well, facial expressions, body language, gestures, tone of voice, posture, and others who are around us, if they're attuned will unconsciously, this is not a conscious process by and large, will detect our emotional state and their mirror neurons, which literally do what it sounds like they do, they are neurons that in the parietal lobe are set up to stimulate the same responses in us that we see in other people. And there's a point for this mirroring where, in, in essence, we start to mirror or imitate the emotional states of others. It's what allows us to synchronize our nervous systems. It starts from childhood when a mother holds a baby on her chest or looks at the baby. The baby looks at the mother. The mother's nervous system starts to regulate the baby's nervous system. So the baby starts feeling safer and more relaxed. When uh, individuals are with people, they feel safe. They experience much less pain. They have much less emotional reactivity to stimuli. And we see this all the time. If you're in a, you know, the classic example, if you're in a room where one person yawns, pretty soon other people will catch it and start yawning themselves. If you're with somebody who's anxiously tapping their feet, you might not detect it consciously, but unconsciously you'll find yourself pretty soon tapping your feet and becoming increasingly anxious. Uh, if we're with people who smile easier, study shows will smile more frequently. Uh, and on the other hand, if we're with people who are more likely to frown or in their posture become hungover and uh, contracted, then we'll experience the same. So we unconsciously mimic 
the body states of others, uh, and in mimicking, we start to feel the same feelings that they're feeling because so much of emotions and internal states are essentially body states. So if you start, if your body imitates my body, you're going to start to feel some of the same affects or emotions that I'm feeling and vice versa. And again, this is really useful in that it's how we uh, return to homeostasis or a relaxed state after stressful events. We find others, we sit in proximity with them, and it's less the talking about the experience and it's more just the being around others who convey safety in their body language, their uh, facial expressions, that our bodies start to relax. We even synchronize unconsciously how others breathe so and talk. So if I'm talking exceedingly fast right now, I hope I'm not, but if I were uh, and we were conversing, then you'd start talking faster. On the other hand, if I'm breathing slower, you might over time start to breathe slower. So these this kind of spreading of emotional states can both lift us uh, up from depression, lift us down from anxiety, or it can do the opposite. If we're really listening and paying attention to someone who's emotionally dysregulated and we're fine, we might become suddenly anxious, agitated, despondent, and so forth. Albert Bandura, who's one of the most important social learning theorists, noted that uh, social learning is by far and away the most influential way that people develop their behavioral repertoire. Uh, it's the most important kind of learning. Uh, starting from very early age, children observe role models, which could be adults, popular peers. It could be cultural icons. Lots of kids will watch uh, videos uh, of actors, maybe uh, entertainers, and they will encode images of their behaviors and their emotional reactions. And later on, children start to imitate uh, the behavior of the kids they've observed, or the, or the adults they've observed. Uh, one friend of mine who's a teacher told me something funny. I haven't yet seen this, but uh, he's a teacher of fifth graders and sixth graders, and he said that it's very popular these days for kids in school to imitate the body movements of background characters in video games. Um, apparently, the background characters in video games have these kind of jerky movements that are repetitive because nobody bothers to program them. <laughs> so they're just kind of like incidental background characters, but now kids copy that because they think it's cool. They see other kids copying that and they think it's funny. So, um, we learn how to behave, how to act in all the different settings by imitating unconsciously others and reenacting. Sometimes it's conscious, but largely the human mimicking process is an unconscious one. We just do it. It's built into us due to our mirror neurons and due to that it's um, all mammals essentially imitate um adults and learning how to survive in the world. Um, encoding and mirroring other people's emotional states and behaviors is healthy so long as it's transitory. And it doesn't dislodge us from uh, the um, um, emotional states that are more appropriate for our current life circumstances. So I'm going to unpack that. So suppose you are in a new relationship and you're happy, but you're meeting with a friend who's going through a breakup. Uh, 
and you might empathize and even mirror their emotional state of sadness and disappointment while you're with them and that's very healthy in that it will allow them to feel less alone and more connected but if it's but if after seeing with your friend you can no longer enjoy your relationship you can no longer feel good about your life circumstances if being around your friend so pulls you out of the uh, emotionally responding to the current circumstances of your own life then it's what we call emotion contagion emotion contagion occurs when our internal states are overly influenced by the states of other people's nervous systems or other people's emotions the underlying mechanism again is the the trait that we automatically mimic and synchronize to the body movements and breathing and facial expressions of others and so as a result uh we converge emotionally with them this has been known for of course uh a very very long time Freud spoke of counter transference which was his way of saying that therapists often identified with their clients to the extent that they start to feel the emotions that their clients are blocking so if a client can't feel their anger and they tell a story about a, a bully or someone who's acting irresponsibly the therapist might start to feel anger at the clients you know barely concealed emotions or or quasi repressed emotions but then of course therapists as well can just feel the emotions that other people are overtly expressing as well for a long time for uh Freudians believed that this was uh unhelpful they wanted therapists to be or analysts to be uh essentially masks that wouldn't uh, that you could project onto but not reflect your emotions but now we know it's far healthier that therapists can uh, express empathy they can visually synchronize with us this means however that therapists and people who work in healing and people who work in uh, any kind of counseling have to spend a lot of time learning to return their nervous systems and their emotional states back to the states they were in before they met with uh individuals because again while it's healthy to empathize and feel what other people are feeling it's not healthy for to carry those emotions on with us and into our own lives at the expense of enjoying our own you know uh the fruits of our work and all that so um as emotion contagion uses the exact same mechanism of empathy and care uh it's common for those who are very empathetic not just therapists but caregivers parents children of dysregulated adults teachers um all kinds of you know healthcare workers to experience emotion contagion which over time leads to uh, classical burnout those who care the most burnout first is an old saying in healthcare um industries um they're faced with people who are very often scared uh frustrated um overwhelmed and over the course of the day uh people who work uh, with others can feel this kind of persistent exhaustion overwhelm uh, agitation themselves um so it's not just specific individuals that can cause emotion contagion in us it's also um environments stressful workplaces like financial markets anesthesiologists are known to have a high 
uh, levels of emotion contagion, acute care nurses, film and video editors, um, public defenders, <clears throat> customer service people experience it a lot. Um, of course, uh, first responders, police officers, and so on and so forth experience a lot of emotion contagion. Um, certainly police officers who very often are free are encountering individuals who are not happy to encounter them over time can catch the same anger and frustration that's being directed at them and directed at others, which leads to deeply unfortunate results. Um, families in financial uncertainty are living in neighborhoods that are unsafe very often can experience emotion contagion. And um, multiple studies show that women are more vulnerable than men. We're more likely to uh, experience emotion contagion from those we feel connected with. Um, and individuals who are better at reading nonverbal cues are more prone to emotion contagion than those who are not. Um, so hmm. interestingly, while individuals on the spectrum very often can have uh, and struggle with real social anxiety and stimulus overwhelm, but are less prone to emotion contagion. Negativity bias is an important factor, which uh, is that the amygdala responds are fight, flight, freeze, you know, emotional salience uh, detector region of our brain. It responds to both positive and negative events, but the intensity of response is far greater to negative stimuli than positive. And there was a wonderful study called Not All Emotions Are Created Equal yeah, back in 2007 that showed definitively that uh, the brain is susceptible to picking up and being influenced by negative stimuli. So unpleasant emotions are the by far and away more likely to spread than positive ones. And frankly, when positive emotion spreads, no one really complains about it. I've yet to have anybody come into counseling and say, oh, I'm so exhausted by all the positive emotions I've been experiencing due to hanging around my workplace or my friend, it would be a fun problem to hear about, that's for sure. Um, it's often more easy to differentiate uh, between uh, the emotions activated by others than by uh, ongoing life stressors, repressed traumas, or ongoing mood disorders, simply because Mood disorders and repressed traumas tend to uh, lead to ongoing uh, mood dysregulation, such as dysthemia, sadness, you know, anxiety, depression, that pretty much goes on for long periods, whereas emotion contagion is something that happens quite noticeably after you interact with either a specific individual or individuals or a specific workplace. So you won't be in it for long periods. You'll just notice, my goodness, I <laughs> I was feeling really good until I talked with my friend, mother, brother, boss, uh, nephew, whatever. And now I'm feeling suddenly... <laughs> uh very overwhelmed sad uh unmotivated and so forth um mood disorders and repressed traumas are not going to be alleviated by going on vacation but people who do experience emotion contagion very often find that they love vacations because they don't experience that kind of emotion that kind of 
uh, vulnerability to other people's affects as much. Um, uh, states of freeze and dissociation are more indicative of repressed traumas, not emotion contagion. Um, when individuals are extremely avoidant, they will feel the impulse to fix and solve others, change the subject. Whereas with emotion contagion, individuals just feel either tired, exhausted, um, they feel overwhelmed or fidgety. It's more a sudden globalized feeling of uh, loss of energy or abundant en energy. So um, it's important to know the difference between detaching versus disconnecting. Enmeshment is when we're caught up in another's emotional states and dramas, and it invariably leads to contagion in mesh relationships like family members or close friends or romantic partners. It's important to have limits. As Winnicott noted that if there was such a thing as a perfect mother, it would not be healthy for a child because the child needs to learn how to tolerate the mother's need for uh, disconnecting, attending to her own needs. Um, so the mother's job is to instill a secure base, a sense that if anything really important happens, it's available, but also is not there all the time and is not always picking up the emotional states of the child. In fact, if the mother is overly overly influenced by her child's uh, emotions, Peter Fanaghi showed that that's actually very, very unhealthy because then the child, the infant, begins to believe no one is competent in a situation that everyone's stressed and panicked. So the mother has to, in many ways, after conveying that she sees her child is upset, she also then conveys, but I'm not upset. I'm okay. We're going to be okay. Uh, so we need to have those same limits with friends, people we care about. If we are overly emotionally uh uh, influenced by them, not only can't we convey to people who are stressed or depressed or overwhelmed by life or fearful that things are going to be okay, but also if we can't at times seek the distance we need and the balance we need, um, then over time, all we're going to do is be experiencing more of their uh negative emotions and no one will feel particularly safe or happy or at peace um it's important to be able to experience empathy without ex without the emotional contagion which means being able to reflect back someone's uh sadness or grief or loneliness or frustration without taking it with us into the rest of our life. Um, this might mean we have to limit our exposure uh, to individuals. We have to know how much we can connect with somebody and at what point do we become uh, vulnerable to feeling exhausted or <clears throat> pulled out of balance. Um, when I do my work, which is for much of the day connecting with people, very often people who are struggling or uh, experiencing stress, the most profound technique to inoculating oneself to emotion contagion is being mindful of how I sit and how my body is when I'm listening and empathizing with another human being. I can listen to your distress, your frustration, your sadness, your uh, whatever you're experiencing, 
and if I allow my body to get tight, if I start picking up your body state and my body, then soon I'm going to be, um, I'm I'm not going to be much use to you, and I'm going to start to feel overwhelmed, or I'm I'm just going to be pulled out of a state of being able to be helpful. So when I'm talking with people, I'm always relaxing my bellies, and I'm always leaning back in my chair. I'm never I don't allow myself to lean forward anxiously. I will drop my arms, open up my chest, and I'll try to make sure that I'm talking slightly slower than somebody who's agitated or talking slightly faster than someone who's depressed. I'm trying to regulate their emotions rather than be rather than I'm trying to synchronize their emotions to mine rather than vice versa. So that requires an ongoing commitment to just noticing my body, relaxing my body, setting an intention to listen, but at the same time also keeping in mind an intention to stay in a very relaxed, comfortable, lean back, open posture. And and to not allow my facial expressions to get frozen into one of concern. So the Buddha uh, directly addresses this. Uh, It's very much in the heart of the Dharma, a practice called the Brahma Viharas, which are um, the four divine, divine abodes, or emotional states we want to attain. The first Brahma-vihara is known as metta. Um, And metta is unconditional goodwill or being non-judgmental. It's wishing others will see the causes of their suffering and, and being willing to be open and not judge any individual for whatever state they're in. It's um, a kind of welcoming state rather than initially regarding others with suspicion or frustration or with, it's just a willingness to be open and greet whatever comes into our path. Compassion is the second Brahma-Vihara, Karuna, and it's when we encounter suffering in another, if we if we have any goodwill in us, we'll want their suffering to stop. It is a way to transcend our aversion to distress. So we listen and empathize rather than trying to fix or solve another person's emotional states. Just being willing to be present is compassion. Um, compassion is not what people very often think compassion is stopping everything we're doing and trying to fix another human being's problems. It's not that it's simply being willing to when, uh, it's available and appropriate to stop, to provide a witness to another person's internal states and stay with them and just, have the natural process of synchronicity take hold. Appreciation is when goodwill encounters other beings that are doing really well. Uh, We want their happiness to continue. Um, This is a direct rebuttal to our sense that there's only so much happiness to go around. Uh, It alleviates our sense of being in competition with others. So if you're, you know, uh, looking for a relationship and a friend gets into a relationship, we don't feel like that's making our chances any less, or we don't uh, feel that there's something wrong with us. We simply allow ourselves to, we even... Uh, practice feeling joy for someone else's um, happiness. 
we don't feel in competition with others. If you're an actor and someone else gets a role that you've been auditioning for, we try to experience um, Mudita appreciation for their um, for their hard work. So it's a kind of appreciation, and many Buddhists say uh, that it's the most difficult of the four divine abode states to, you know, some people find uh, compassion difficult, but many find allowing ourselves to feel good about the successes and rewards that other people experience to be very difficult. Of course, um, we don't allow, we don't celebrate individuals who come about their happiness by exploiting or harming others by the way the buddha said we don't ex experience appreciation for others who are harming working exploiting uh engaging in wrong livelihoods so it's only when people experience uh, a positive event through skillful means but finally the fourth Brahma Vihara is what balances the other three. Balances our goodwill, our being willing to engage with others, our willingness to listen and be with people who are suffering, our willingness to uh, celebrate and appreciate other people's joy. The fourth is equanimity or balance. And for the Buddha, this was knowing that we can't fundamentally alleviate the suffering of others. All we can do is stay present, off, tell them the tools that we've, uh, or the path that we've taken, but we can't uh, try to change their level of suffering. It doesn't work. Um, as in the phrases of the fourth Brahma Vihara is a Pekka, and the phrase is, I care for you, but I am not responsible for your happiness or unhappiness, or all beings are the owners of their karma. Uh, it's a way of reminding ourselves that there's only a certain amount of engagement, enmeshment, involvement, that we can have with others before it's no longer skillful. And I'm not talking about, of course, uh, if you're taking care of an extremely sick individual to just drop them. <laughs> I'm talking about more knowing what your limits are and knowing that um, you or one is not ultimately responsible for the suffering of another and that we are um, there to provide uh, help or uh, connection, but not to the extent that it compromises our own well-being. Uh, one of the classic examples that a monk told me many, many like well over a quarter of a century ago that really helped me understand this was that uh, if you were seeing, uh, if you had a heart ailment and you were waiting to see a heart surgeon who was very famous and could help people with uh, recover from very serious heart ailments, and if somebody before you had an incurable heart disease and was meeting with the specialist and the specialist couldn't do anything for that specific patient, it would be understandable that the heart surgeon would listen and be compassionate, but he would also, or she, the heart surgeon, she would know when to disconnect and then move on to other patients that she could help. If a heart surgeon who could help people just stayed with one patient they couldn't help and became overly de depressed or despondent, they wouldn't be able to move on and help other beings. And this is the key with balance in life. It's knowing that it's irresponsible 
to get caught up in one individual's uh, emotional states or suffering. It's essential that we know how to balance, know how much we can offer, know when it's time to um, take care of ourselves, know when it's time to appreciate the results of our skillful actions and so on and so forth. So that's an overview on emotion contagion and the Buddhist approach and other approaches to um, uh, inoculating ourselves from being too vulnerable to it. So what I'd like to do now is lead us on a meditation of the Brahma Viharas so we can practice um, this actually in our meditation practice, establishing and reflecting on our own limitations to help others and, and while also cultivating the divine attributes of compassion and appreciation. So thanks for listening and find a really comfortable seated position and you're always invited to take yourself off camera so that you won't have to be on camera while you're meditating i find it the only reason why i keep myself on camera is because i'm teaching the class but if i wasn't i would certainly go off camera while the meditation was because it's more fun just to not worry how we appear. So um, find whatever comfortable posture is going to work for you. I am in no way, in my own practice, overly strict about sitting in a very rigid, upright position. There's many Buddhists I know for Throughout my life, I grew up in a Zen Buddhist household. And uh, so I was around people that sat like uh, uh, just this really very uh, up, bolt upright postures. And I never found that to be comfortable. So whatever works for you, if you're... Um, prefer to lie down or sit in a reclining position while you meditate, try to uh, hold one hand over, gently over your body so that if you fall asleep, it'll you'll tap yourself on the chest. You can bend your arm at your elbow. Old trick I learned from a very famous monk. And when you found a good position, you're invited to close your eyes and use the initial practice to pull your attention into your body. We spend so much of the day, of course, with our eyes open, searching the world around us for information, that pulling attention away from the world and dropping awareness into the body, looking for important messages and events internally can at first feel a little awkward, especially today when our phones and other media are developed in ways that uh, co-opt our attentional bottom-up circuits, co-opt our ancient evolutionarily installed uh, 
dopamine systems. It's hard to just bring your attention within. It can feel at first challenging, but if you practice, the rewards are numerous. We One can begin to note what our real internal state is and very often find ourselves surprised So it's helpful if you can find an expression of your inhalation and exhalation in your body in an area or in a manner that feels very comfortable. For some, it could be air entering and exiting the tip of the nostril. For others, it could be just the belly expanding with the inhalation, the energy moving up the front of the body to the chest, and then the chest releasing, deflating, energy moving back down to the abdomen again. Feeling the breath as energy moving up and down the body is very soothing. Or simply feeling the breath entirely in the belly, just the belly expanding with the inhalation and releasing with the exhalation. And if staying with the breath is not particularly comfortable, no worries. You can either find a set of sensations in your body that feel soothing or just allow attention to be concerned with the sounds arising and falling away in your environment. Not visualizing what causes the sounds, but just Allowing yourself to know the sounds present to consciousness on a moment-by-moment basis, not pushing away, not latching on to any sound, trying to hear the most distant sound, And then hearing the the closest. Maybe a sound all the way to the left, originating from the left, and then a sound originating from the right. These type of practices can make the mind feel more open and spacious. If you are finding awareness of the breath to be pleasant, just see if you can sit with the rhythm of breathing, like you're riding on waves gently lapping to shore. The inhalation, the waves raising and cresting, the exhalation, the waves subsiding. Riding the energy of the breath up and down the belly or up and down the front of the torso or the expression of air in the tip of the nose. 
and see how relaxed and comfortable you can become whenever anything, any thought, memory, concern, any other body sensation pulls you away, just note, never feel frustrated that you've become distracted. The practice of simply returning our awareness back to the breath is how we wire in a ritual of returning to the present, and that's the way throughout the course of our life we can develop the skill of putting down repetitive, intrusive, catastrophizing thoughts. The body, the breath, is a portal back to the present and back to a safety well beyond the internal worlds our thoughts can conjure.
So if you'd like to join in the Brahma Vihara's practice, this <clears throat> there's many different ways to practice. Bring to mind someone that is important to you. If you can, hold their image in your mind. Or just think of their name. And while you recollect this individual, just in your thoughts, recite the phrase, may you live with ease and kindness. May you live with ease and kindness. And then if there's an individual that you struggle with, someone that you may not feel it's so easy to wish goodwill, bring them to mind. It could be someone you're struggling with, essentially. And then just in your mind to the degree that you can, may you live with ease and kindness. So we're wishing another being not just be rewarded for their unskillfulness, but for them to live with kindness so they may in turn experience the benefits of harmlessness. And now for Aruna, compassion, bring to mind someone you know who may be suffering, maybe struggling, Just hold either their image or their name in your mind, and then the phrase is, may you be freed from suffering. May you be freed from suffering. And if you want, hold an image of yourself. in your mind. And just offer yourself the thoughts, may I be freed from suffering. May I be freed from suffering. And now bring to mind someone who's in any way experiencing the benefits of their work or who've experienced any degree of abundance or 
rewards for their endeavors. Or simply someone we admire. The phrase from Udita or appreciation is, may your happiness continue. May your happiness continue. And if at this point you're feeling any degree of well-being or rewards in your life, or simply experiencing some joy at the change of season, Hold your image in mind. Conjure the thought, may all, may my, not all, may my happiness continue. May my happiness continue. And finally, if there's someone who's distress or reactions or general state of being is at times difficult to bear or bear witness to, just hold them in mind. Someone that we often experience ourselves being caught off balance by the intensity of their emotional states. Just hold them in mind. And the fourth Brahmavihara is Upeka. All beings are in charge of their own karma. I care for you, but I am not responsible for your happiness or unhappiness. I care for you, but I am not responsible for your happiness or unhappiness. And finally, just ending by thinking, may all beings be peaceful and free of stress and suffering. Sabe sata suki hantu.